This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And good day, and this is the third episode of Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, uh, brought to you by Robin Mob. I'm Mob. I'm Rob. That's Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, and we are talking to you from beautiful Blackburn South uh, in Melbourne, Australia. And this is going to be a big episode this week, Michael, isn't it? Things are happening. Things are indeed happening. So I think in our, in our first episode, we, we set up the backstory. Our second episode was the difficult second episode, like the difficult second album, where not a whole lot was really happening. But uh, this third episode is uh, really where our story is uh, starting to get moving, because this week we are in the Madeira Islands. We're in the Madeira Islands where the Sea King, which is soon to become the CSS Shenandoah, is going to have a fateful rendezvous with a ship called the Laurel, which on board has a whole lot of uh, sailors yes. who aren't exactly sure what they're getting themselves in for, to put it mildly. Yes, yes, yes. And, and all of them, too, are unmarried men because they were the only ones who had been recruited. I Before we get to that, Rob, we better just have our attributions and corrections. Yes, yeah, let, let's not omit our omissions, corrections and attributions, a, a by now traditional part of our podcast where we point out all the stuff that we missed out last week. Because we're going to do that. We're, we're going to promise you that now. <laughs> we're going to make mistakes. We are not historians. We are we, we, we're interested speak, in the speak topic. Speak for yourself, fella. I've got a history degree. <laughs> You're a history teacher, anyway. Very yeah. true. But yeah. we, what we want to do is we want to correct anything that we realise that we haven't necessarily got right in the uh, previous episode because we don't want to have any uh, Civil War buffs breathing down our neck with things we got wrong. And, and last week's one was a pretty egregious one. Well, well yeah, yeah. So towards the end of last week's episode, uh, I referred to uh, the USS Shenandoah, which, of course, was the CSS Shenandoah. So that's, um, that, is a sort of, that is a sort of mistake that you do make in a Civil War podcast uh, when you're, you're Australian. So uh, I can't really think of uh, any other... Omissions, but uh, we will do some attributions of the main sources that we are going to be using uh, this week. And first of all, a, a book that we've discussed before, but um, just Michael. to just to bring it back up again, uh, William C. Whittle was the first officer on board the Shenandoah. He has written. Oh, I'm holding it up in front of the uh, microphone. Traditionally, <laughs> he his uh, journal, his ship's log was written. Uh, of course, as he was sailing around the world, but only published in the year 2003 as the Shenandoah, a memorable cruise. Now, our other main source, uh, although the interesting about this source is that it was written many years after the event and is trying to put somewhat of a gloss on... Um, <clears throat> uh, we, we, we try to keep the language fairly, uh, you know, fairly, fairly nice in this show, but... Um, uh, in discussing the events of uh, 
the CSS Shenandoah's um, commissioning. Uh, Waddell, uh, James Eredell Waddell, Lieutenant Commanding, when he was writing his memoirs, he not only had to polish... Polish. He had to polish it. He had to put sprinkles on it as well. And he had to sprinkle sprinkle some glitter on it as well. So we'll be... What we're doing... uh, Quite a bit of uh, this episode is contrasting uh, Waddell's view years later of the commissioning of the Shenandoah with the actual reality at the time, which was not quite as pretty as uh, he made it out to be. So we'll be using um, the memoirs of Lieutenant Commanding James Iredell Waddell, uh, which were published in 1964 for the 100th anniversary of the Civil War and edited by James D. Haran. And we'll also be uh, using a number of other secondary sources, um, the main one of which I'll mention at the moment, uh, Confederate Raider in the North Pacific, the saga of the CSS Shenandoah 1864-65 by Murray Morgan. And almost all of these books are still available uh, from Amazon if you feel like uh, buying yourself some Civil War history, because, uh, yeah, you can still get them. Uh, sometimes you have to buy them secondhand, but uh, most of them are still available. So that finishes our omissions, uh, corrections, and attributions. So uh, I think, really, uh, just a, a very short bit on the story so far. The story so far. The Shenandoah left London. The but Seeking. It but it didn't leave as the Shenandoah. It left as the Seeking, a completely differently named ship, ostensibly for a trip to Bombay. That was going to take two years, <laughs> but uh, there was secret. There was a secret order on board that instructed the captain to what, Rob? Um, if he was to meet up with anybody who wanted to buy the ship and happened to have a lazy fifty thousand pounds on them, well, the captain was authorised to sell the boat. What a coincidence! It, what a coincidence! Yes, and um. At the same time, uh, around October the 9th, 1864, the Laurel uh, left uh, Liverpool uh, with um, Lieutenant Commanding James I. Waddell and a number of former Confederate officers on board, and it was also packed to the absolute gunwales with guns, with powder, with all of the things uh, you would need. Just about all the things as well. Just about all of the things. Mysteriously labelled Machinery. Machinery. Yes, yes. So um, that is the the story so far. So on the 16th, um, the uh, Laurel arrived in uh, the Madeira Islands, uh, which are off the coast of Africa, but which are Portuguese islands. And kind of the the sort of place, if you want to do a bit of -of out-of-the-way business, um, where you would go. And a couple of days later... Um, the Sea King turned up and Whittle um, was pretty much the only one of the Confederate officers who actually came on the Sea King and which brings us to uh, another regular segment of ours Crew Member of the Week and uh, that will be Lieutenant Whittle this week over to you Michael So we had uh, Captain Waddle last yes, week Yes so this is the, the difficult second crew member of the week. The, different, the, the difficult second crew member. And he was the first officer on board the, the Shenandoah. And Whittle was uh, from Naval Society. His father was a Commodore. He'd been in the uh, Union Navy and had resigned when the Civil War started. He had an uncle who was a state senator in Virginia, 
So he came from one of those uh, those families which had all the right connections, which is what you needed to get accepted into the naval school at Annapolis, which he did when he was nine. That later became the. I naval hope that's not when he started. <laughs> it's when he started when he when he went to the naval school. Yes. Okay, so it was a school before, so it was like... It was a school. Okay. It then became the Naval Academy. And if you remember last week, we said that uh, when Waddle went there, it turned into the Academy. Okay, okay. Um, Oh, so of course this is 15 years later. Yes. Whittle's a lot lot younger. Yes. Not sure if they ever actually met each other there, but who knows. Um, Appointments to the Naval Academy and this Naval School were completely based on who you knew. So, obviously... Whittle came from the right sort of family to do that. He graduated as what was described a most promising young officer. You then had to go and have two years at sea to qualify. And in his two years at sea, he got to serve in the Mexican-American War. And part of that was helping to capture uh, Cuban, or I guess you could say Spanish, ships. So he had a pretty busy time as uh, a young ensign. He came back and aced his exams in December 1860, and he beat out uh, the future Admiral Dewey as top of the class. So he he was top of the class of of Naples, was he? Yes, beating out someone who later became an admiral of the, the US Navy. That meant that he was rated as a master, and... Sadly for him, that happened in 1861 in February. So three months later, he had to resign his... Well, he chose to resign his commission in the Union Navy because the Civil War broke out and went and joined what was called the Virginian Navy. And I don't know very much about that, Rob, but he was only in that... You know more than me because you know that it exists. (laughs) He was in that very briefly... And then got a commission in the Confederate Navy as a master. It probably helped that his uh, father got commissioned as a Commodore in the Confederate Navy at about the same time. He was then uh, serving on on what was the CSS Nashville, which was the first Confederate Navy vessel Mm -hmm. that was sent across the oceans to England. While they were there, and they were fated, what was called the Trent Affair happened. And the Trent Affair is when a Union warship tried to take two Confederate diplomats yes. uh, at sea. One of whom, I believe, was the father of another of um, uh, the crewmen of the Shenandoah. Mm-hmm. And this caused a great stink and led to a huge rise in pro- pro-Southern sentiment in England at the time. Ah, oh, because they were trying to take them off an English ship. Yes. Oh. That co- the, the Trent was an English, was an English ship. Um. Kind of ironic, given that the War of 1812 was about exactly the opposite, where uh, the Americans were protesting at the fact that the British were taking American sailors off their ships and pressing them into the English Navy. But obviously things uh, change in 50 years. England enforced the Queen's neutrality. So even though there was a Union warship waiting to get the Nashville, the, uh, the Royal Navy stopped them getting the, uh, the Nashville and it, it, it escaped back. Uh, so there, was, it, was there a confrontation on the high seas between the English and the uh, USS Navy? I think there was a tense standoff. There, there were certainly no uh, yep. cannons yes. fired or anything. Yep. Uh, that was good for the Nashville because but, they got to... But presumably a chap had to tell a chap that a, a chap had not done the right thing. It, it did, indeed. <laughs> that was good for the Nashville because 
They then got to capture and burn two American ships on the way back. Oh, wonderful. So uh, Whittle has, has experience, you can see there, both in the, uh, the, the war with the Cuban ships and also now with these two American ships of capturing ships. Now, now interestingly, uh, referring to our uh, crewman of the, the week last week, uh, Captain Waddell, or Lieutenant Commanding Waddell, he actually, in fact, has a much um, better war record than, than his captain. Or he his captain. And, it, and it, it, it isn't over yet. What they then did to get back to uh, Dixie, Dixie was they faked their appearance as a US mail steamer to get past the blockade, which I think is very impressive. That's impressive, but oh, I'm sorry, f- faking faking the mailman. Sure, surely that's punishable by death in every country of the world. Oh, right? sure. <laughs> Having run the blockade, when they arrived back, the Nashville's captain learned that the Confederate government had sold the ship off, which I think you'd be really cheesed off about. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, back in victory. You've run all that risk. Yeah. Um, and he promptly left Whittle and a skeleton crew to go deliver it. Sadly, that was in a different Confederate port, so they'd have to go and run the blockade again. And he did that by running f- at full steam past the blockade. Run- past the blockade. So he just went boom and said, hit me or not. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. And Northern newspapers demanded the Union Secretary of the Navy, Gideon Wells, who I wish we'd talked about last week because he didn't have a magnificent false beard. Gideon Wells was famous for having a magnificent false wig, or, you know, had a wig. His hair was uh, the talk of Washington because of its uh, amazing... Uh, voluptuous ringlets that were all completely false. Isn't that amazing? Because 50 years before that, every gentleman would have worn a wig. And and it would have just been absolutely unexceptionable that, that, that a, a gentleman would walk around without his own hair. In fact, it would have been the expected thing. And, but uh, by Gideon Wells' times, yes, he was ridiculed for it. It was, as people now are now ridiculed to this day, yes. He was, um, so the newspapers were, of course, calling for him to be sacked for this notorious incompetence. And it was even described as the bull run of the Navy. And, of course, the Battle of Bull Run was a ignominious defeat by the Union forces at the very beginning of the, uh, the Civil War. He then got sent to New Orleans, where his father was the Commodore, so that would have helped, and was put in charge of the CSS Louisiana. And that was something called a casement ironclad. And what you did is you got a riverboat, and you put a whole pile of iron armour on it, Mm. Casements, well, a turret is something that can rotate. A casement is something that can't. So you stuck the guns out the sides and and hoped that something would come in the line of sight to fire. And its job was uh, to be defending the, the lower Mississippi because the Union was coming, the Union Navy, under Admiral Farragut of Damn the Torpedoes fame. So when Admiral Farragut came... The Louisiana got called down to uh, help defend the river. And Whittle was on board. They, went, they, they were taken down. The, the, the ship's engines were so badly uh, underpowered, it had to be towed. The ship was still actually being built, <laughs> so they left in such a hurry, the workmen were still on board as it was being towed oh, down the river, and all their tools were up on deck. Because the ship was still being built, the crew had never had time to do gunnery practice. And when it finally got down to Forts Jackson and St. Philip, which are 75 miles below St. 
uh, New Orleans, uh, the Louisiana had to be tied to a bank because it couldn't maneuver on its own and it couldn't even go down below the forts where the Union ships were because they were worried it would be uh, hit by the plunging fire of the Union ships. So I think Whittle had a very interesting experience working with less than optimum conditions. Well, that, that was going to serve him in good stead. Yes. So what happened then is the, uh, the, Union, the Union fleet came past. This is when Admiral Farragut said, damn the torpedoes. Apparently some shots were fired at uh, Louisiana and they just uh, harmlessly bounced off the armour. Only a couple of men were killed. They were the people who were exposed, who'd actually come out from behind the armour. Sadly, that included the captain. And apparently the Louisiana managed to fire 12 shots back and to, to, to little or no effect. That led to uh, New Orleans being captured. It led to the forts being surrendered by the Union Army. And it led to Whittle and the rest of the crew on board the Louisiana being captured. Before they got uh, captured, though, they set their ship on fire and sent it off drifting into the current. In a um, Viking funeral. In Unluckily, they didn't want it captured by the enemy. Unluckily, though, it did blow up just as it got down to where Fort uh, St. John was and killed somebody, which I think was... So it killed somebody on their own side. Yes, which is pretty pretty awful. That's a shame. So Whittle, Whittle was captured, was he? He was captured, yes. Okay, so, so how did he get out of that? Uh, throughout the Civil War, they had frequent exchanges of prisoners. Oh, up until up until 1863, or, or there was some point where it stopped, wasn't it? Because it was. The, the, the uh, Confederates weren't treating um, black um, Union soldiers the same way as, 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 as white. I think that's something we're going to note down and see if we can find out more about for next that, week. That will be... Because you're right, I, I, I distinctly remember reading about that at, at some point. So, yes, he was captured, uh, spent some time as a prisoner, got exchanged, was given command of the gunboat, the Chattahoochee. Yep. This was yet another Confederate warship that was plagued by mechanical difficulties and design flaws and... Uh, about the only memorable thing I can find out about the Chattahoochee is that one point the boiler blew up and killed half the crew. Yeah, boilers, when boilers blew up, it, it was never a good thing. Yes, no, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. death by scalding does not sound pleasant. Well, presumably bits of metal from the boiler would cut great holes through you and then the then the boiling water... The would, hot yeah, steam. Yeah, things, yes. wonderful. So after that, uh, I'm not sure if he was on board when... When it blew up, uh, he was selected to run the blockade with important correspondence for the Confederate uh, representatives in Britain. And so that's when he went over to meet uh, Captain Bullock. There you go. And Captain Bullock, in the fullness of time, said, do I have a commission for you? So that was that was our uh, first officer's background. And Ooh. as you can see... He had a very colourful background, and he'd seen a lot of action for, for somebody in who was a short amount of time. 23 or 24? Was he even that? He might have even only been about 21. Oh, but, yeah, so he'd, he'd seen a lot. He'd done a lot. He'd run blockades. He'd captured and burned ships. He'd been engaged in subterfuge. And, importantly for what's going to proceed now, he'd also operated ships that were not necessarily fit for purpose, or had major design flaws, or had major problems in trying to carry out what they were trying to do. Well, that was... 
That's a, that's a fantastic crew member of the week, Michael. I think when we when we start getting down to the to the boat suede or the uh, we, we get a, we're going to probably not be able to sustain that level of detail. Although, given that a number of the crew did in fact write memoirs, we we probably um, are going to be able to do quite a few more. So that brings us up to where are we now? And where we are now is that um, the Laurel uh, reached Madeira on the sixteenth of October. And uh, this is quoting from uh, Waddell's memoirs. And was anchored in Funchal Bay near Lou Rock. There you go, Where, wherever that happens to be. And a um, couple of days later, during the first watch on a clear, clear, calm, moonlight night, such as generally blessed that happy group of islands on the 18th of October, 1864, a ship-rigged vessel came in sight within two miles of Funchal, steaming slowly and showed signal lights, which is not an unusual courtesy for vessels to extend to those lying in anchor. Uh, this, now, this vessel excited great interest among us. She soon passed out of sight south of the port, Funchal, and soon report, returned off the port, port side, steaming slowly in the direction from whence she came, still showing her signal lights which the crews of other vessels in the harbour did not appear to notice. It's almost as if that vessel was trying to attract the attention of yes. somebody who might want to say, buy it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, now, of course, um, uh, Whittle, Whittle was the only, Whittle and the, the ship's master were the only people on board the Sea King who were actually in the know, but aboard the Laurel, uh, there were quite a few more. Uh, because that had Waddell and all of the officers, and it also had a few hand-picked men. So there were quite a few more uh, people uh, who were in the know, as it were. So um, the Sea King's advent had caused no small stir among the crew of the supply vessel who were assembled on deck in merry chat and to avoid the confined air below. And when she again came in sight, a low suppressed exclamation of, that's her, escaped the lips of the men who were hanging over the ship's rail, eagerly watching the strange steamer, and who had by this time some suspicion of what we were looking for. After the disappearance of the steamer, we all withdrew from the deck of the laurel, some to sleep, others to talk over their suspicions as to the character of the long, low, black craft and their fate in connection with hers, and all longed for the morning light with its developments. There you go. Now, of course, um, they could not immediately go out and uh, and uh, go to the um, the seeking uh, because um, the, the ship's papers uh, were in the customs house, as apparently was the custom at the time, and might even still be. But um, the next morning, um, the strange uh, to return again to quote from Waddell, that strange steamer came in sight again from the north with signals flying from her mastheads, evidently meaning business which were recognised and answered from the laurel, and a cry arose from the shore boats, which surrounded her, Otro Alabama, Otro Alabama. Um, which means, I believe, another Alabama, another Alabama. So despite the fact that the laurel had left Liverpool on the 9th of October, 1864, and this was the 18th of October, 1864, the Portuguese sailors in, in the Madeira Islands had, had worked out that... Um, this was a Confederate warship. I think that's pretty amazing sea telegraph, I guess oh, you'd call it. I think it's bulldust, actually. <laughs> do you really think they could have tell they, they could tell that, or do you think this is uh, a embroidery after the fact? 
by, well, by the, Woodall. Well, it, obviously it could be that, but it, it also could be that a couple of his hand-picked men had got drunk and had blabbed about their mission. Yeah, that's probably what happened, I'd say, yes. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, during the morning of the 18th, uh, the customs officials, and again, other sources we've read have indicated that the customs officials were getting a bit suspicious about, uh, about what was happening. Um and on the 19th day of October, so sorry, uh, before the quotation was overnight on the 18th, the 19th day of October 1864 was fine and the wind blew from southwest. So soon as the laurel drew near the steamship, I saw in her port quarter three words in large white letters, Sea King London. Each of us asked himself instinctively, what great, great adventures shall we meet in her? What will be her ultimate fate? The Sea King was directed to follow her consort and together we sought reference on the north side of the deserters, lost deserters, where we found smooth sea and good anchorage. So the islands are called the lost deserters. Yes, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of guessing that's a great place to have a secret rendezvous. That's a great place to have a secret rendezvous. They're not called lost populous or, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, my, my uh, Anybody who uh, heard me try to quote um, French last week will realise that, that foreign languages are not exactly my, my strong suit. But yes, I think I'll be very surprised if Lost Deserters means island of many people, look, of many onlookers. So they're at, they're at the rendezvous at the Lost Deserters. The laurel has come up absolutely packed to the gills with machinery. Machinery, yes. The Sea King has got... A number of uh, crew that have been hired on board, and they were they were hired for what, Rob? They were hired for a uh, two-year voyage to India. So um, basically, uh, yes, that was a commission. Not really much more detail was was gone into, was it? And, and again, as I believe we mentioned earlier, um, all the men um, uh, were uh, was unmarried men only, which uh, sounds. <laughs> Sounds like the uh, the plot for a homoerotic farce, but okay. Assuming assuming that wasn't the the <laughs> purpose, what was the rationale for only hiring unmarried men? Well, because um, they were going to try and hire them aboard the the Sea King uh, once they had revealed the nature of the mission, and it was felt uh, in both London and Liverpool that unmarried men uh, would be the ones who would be the most likely to um, accept such a commission. To basically, because again, um, all of these men were, were English, so what they were going to be asked to do was to um, accept military service with a foreign power. Um, and part of that service would involve capturing enemy ships yes, and sharing the loot. And, and sharing the loot. Anyway, um, I believe, so I, I think... Um, Waddell had been told that he could expect that uh, he would. They were hoping to be able to recruit fifty men from the combined crews of the Laurel and of the the Sinking, and um, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit, of course, because um, the true purpose of the voyage was not immediately revealed. But so, um, so I'm going to pose an interesting question here, Rob. Who knew? At, okay. the, at the moment that the laurel yes. is uh, steaming over to this mysterious long black shape that yes. has gone in and flash signals and then gone back out again, yes. Well, who who actually knew the true purpose of the mission? On on the seeking, um, only basically Whittle 
and the the captain uh, of the Sea King, um, who had been commissioned to sell it for a handsome price. <laughs> right. Um, I, I mentioned fifty thousand pounds before. That that might be an, uh, an entry into um, to uh, next week's submissions. Uh, yes, yeah, we've got to make mistakes, otherwise we, we don't get our we don't get our segment. Uh, it, it might have been five thousand pounds or fifteen, but we we will check that. Um, so really, only a couple of people aboard the Sea King were aware that um, they were not going to go to India. Um, what about on board the Laurel? On board the Laurel, uh, it was a, a, a different matter. For a start, all of the Confederate officers. Uh, who numbered about 20 men, were on board the Laurel. Uh, the Laurel also had about 10 actual seamen, but Confederate seamen. So these were people who who had served aboard Confederate ships before. They were hand-picked. They were the, the, the were they the ones that possibly got drunk in the uh, the seamen's tavern in uh, in Funchal, Madeira the night yeah, before? Very possibly, and <laughs> had given away. Um, so people who knew about uh, the ship were a much bigger proportion, uh, the, the, the true um, mission, were a much bigger proportion of the, the Laurel's crew. I'm going to pose were. an interesting question, though, and I don't know the answer to this. This is maybe something we can look up. There were two sorts of Confederate warship, I guess you could say. There were the commerce raiders that would go out and capture other ships and uh, take their take their plunder. There were actually three, three of I think about it. There were blockade runners yes. that were very fast and could go through the blockade. They didn't need to be particularly well armed. Their, their main virtue was their speed. And there was an out-and-out proper warship like the Alabama. Of which the Alabama really was the only one to, to actually yeah. have any great career. So the Sea King, what, what do you think these crewmen thought, the, the Confederate crewmen thought? Did they think they were going on a piracy and plunder expedition or did they think they were just going to outfit a blockade runner well as with really pretty much any war um uh before the modern times um uh there's there's not a lot known about um the 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 other ranks uh, aboard the shenandoah there's quite a lot known about the um the officers because so many of them wrote memoirs so it's very difficult to say but i think i think from from the outset, I mean, the Shenandoah was a clipper. Now, clippers were very distinctive-looking ships. They were long ships. They were thin ships. They were built for speed. If you're a seaman... They you weren't know. built to be warships, though. No, no, but I, I, I would I would think that, that probably um, the, the crewmen of the Shenandoah would have thought that they were going to be outfitted to be a blockade runner because that was that would have been, I think, instinctively what, what That's you That's what the think. ship looks that, like. That, that, that is what the ship looks like. It looks like a ship that will be able to steam straight past, not sail straight past, um, uh, uh, Union of Warships because um, she, she had the name uh, of, a, of a very fast ship. Of course, one of the things about uh, a clipper, in order to go really fast, it needed an experienced crew and it needed the right number of crew. And it? it needed a lot of crew. So, um, now for the for the first, um, so again, we will be getting to that. For the first day, so on the on the nineteenth, um, off the coast of Los Desertos. Um, the two ships met, and immediately, I think, even if people didn't know what was going on, they would have started to get some idea, because one of the big crates of machinery <coughs> was cracked open to reveal a a big gun. Now, ordinarily, when, when I say something like a big gun in this podcast, it's because I don't really know 
what was in it. But and that is specifically the case because the the historical sources on what guns the Shenandoah actually had are all over the map. I'm, I'm going here from Murray Morgan, who says that when they crack open, it's a 72 pounder, which which is a which a a big gun. Uh, another uh, interestingly, the Osprey book says it's an eighty-four pounder, uh, and I'm sure we could find as many different uh, different uh, sizes. Anyway, I, I think let's let's not get hung up on this. Let's just say it was a bigger. So that, um, that's an, that's a whopper, really, isn't it? Yeah, an eighty-four pounder. Yes. And um, so basically, uh, you're, you're an English seaman. You've set out on ostensibly a voyage to India. You meet up with another ship. You're a merchant the... seaman. Let's merchant uh, seaman. They, they weren't hiring guys with peg legs and patches no, over no, no. one eye and parrots on their shoulders. Yes, yes, exactly. They were hiring merchant seamen. Anyway, um, and the first thing you try and transfer over from the other ship is a massive great gun. They then manage to drop a um, a big box. Uh, on the deck, which opened up to reveal twenty-four pound shot, and so you had uh, you had shot rolling around the decks. Uh, the crew were worked to the absolute nth degree for the next day or so. It kind of probably would have given things away. I think. I, I, I think it would have. It would have given things to go away. Yeah. And then um, eventually uh, there came the the big reveal. Okay. So in in uh, Waddell's memoirs, he, he puts a bit of a, a bit of a nice gloss on this. So in thirty hours after we were on the deck, uh, the consort had safely discharged all stores intended for the Shenandoah. Our desk was crowded. Deck was crowded with, with every conceivable outfit. Confusion reigned supreme, and we realised the almost l- endless labour before us. But we had every encouragement in the consciousness that we had a good and fast ship under our feet and courageous hearts to sail her. Well, just not that many courageous hearts. Yes, uh, Whittle says the same thing. He he says, Never did I see a set of officers and men work harder or more cheerfully than our noble band. We who set out, who could have imagined in so short a time with 22 men and 24 officers and every (laughs) disadvantage under the sun to contend with, we should have accomplished so much. Um, it's it's never a good thing on a on a warship or perhaps in any field of military endeavour where officers outnumber men. That that is that is not, and it, it also raises a, a very uh, very enjoyable thought that, of course, because the Shenandoah had partly been built as a troop ship, um, the the men's berth would have been, you know, each man would have had you know fifteen feet between hammocks, whereas in the officers' quarters they were probably sitting on top of each other. Well, in fact, they were sitting on something else in the officers' quarters. Weren't I, they? I, I think I think we we need to back up a bit and uh, so okay on the on the nineteenth of October, um, eighteen sixty four, the penny finally dropped. Um, the captain of the the Laurel assembled all hands on the deck of the Shenandoah. Captain James, Lieutenant Commanding, Captain James Iredell Waddell, walked up on deck in Confederate uniform and he gave a, what was obviously intended to be a rousing speech, saying, come on boys, does anybody want to join the Confederacy and go off and, um, and uh, you know, capture US ships? And um, I think in the in the movie this would be you know this all would... those Wedrison take one step forward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
And now, look, I'm just going to give the, the Waddell version, and uh, then we'll follow that up with the, the Murray Morgan version. Um, Waddell says, uh, I informed them of the changed character of the Sea King, read my commission to them, pictured to them a brilliant, dashing cruise, and asked them to join the service of the Confederate States and assist an oppressed and brave people in their resistance to a powerful and arrogant northern government. Only 23 men were willing to venture on such service, and a majority of those shipped for six months. Um, now, for a start, um, 23 men, those 23 men included the 10 men that they had brought with them. <laughs> so I think Waddell is being a bit disingenuous there, because he's saying that he didn't actually lose any of the already Confederate <laughs> well, naval personnel. Would have been a, a bit of a bit of a problem if they said, oh, "Nah, sorry, Captain, uh, we enjoyed Liverpool. We're going back there." Uh, apparently, the first time—this uh, is according to Murray Morgan—the first time that Waddell made his stirring speech, two people came forth: a cabin boy and a fireman. <laughs> oh dear! And you know what? I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure every ship needs a cabin boy. Um, Every ship needs a fireman, especially one that had as much uh, gunpowder on board as the Shenandoah. But I think it's fair to say that Waddell probably would have wanted some somewhat more. There were well, then, that was the whole idea of hiring these young, unmarried young men, married men who'd want to engage in a spirit of adventure. Engage in a spirit of adventure? So most of these young, unmarried men said, I'm going to engage <laughs> in a spirit of adventure Back to Liverpool. Back, back, exactly. Back to Liverpool. Uh, yes, I've, I've seen the shot. I've seen the guns. I don't want any more. Um, possibly because they weren't interested in being hanged as pirates. Yeah, well, possibly. Now, um, um, Waddell had one weapon at his command, and uh, that was money. Now, of course, Waddell, um, you know, he wanted to appeal to people's sense of adventure, their, their sense of you know, helping the oppressed confederacy. Um, but he very quickly realised that this was not going to, to get him anywhere. Uh, he raised the bounty, uh, the cash on the nail, from £5 to £10 to £15. He eventually, and um, yeah, this is this would be a great scene in the movie, he eventually had a bucket of sovereigns bought up on deck. Now, he must have actually had a fair amount of cash. Either that or it was a very small bucket. <laughs> yeah, maybe a thimble. But if you think a sovereign was worth one pound. No, I, th- I think literally having to offer them buckets of cash yes. shows how desperate he was. So he brought out his bucket of sovereigns and he ran the money through his fingers. And from the crew of the seeking. He got another two people. Oh, dear. Now, he got quite a few more people um, from the the Laurel. And um, Murray Morgan speculates that this is probably because um, they had come out from Liverpool with the Confederate officers. They were probably more in the know. They had got to talking with the Confederate officers and the Confederate men. There'd probably been a fair few shots, a um, fair, fair bit of grog um, drunk. So they managed to get a massive... Um, nine people off the the laurel. And so at the end of Waddell's recruitment process, they had, as as, as Whittle noted and as Waddell also noted... 24 officers and 22 men. And 22 men. And which one was the cabin boy? Oh, yeah, again, Waddell says 23. So I think Waddell is not only counting the 10 people he brought with him, but also the cabin boy. And uh, the cabin boy, uh, after uh, Waddell had read the articles, and of course uh, the articles of war for a man of war, 
Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of crimes that the man and a man of war can commit, and the punishment for most of them is death. death. And, and yes. after after they read the articles, apparently the cabin boy had a bit of a bit of a trembling lip. And so at, at the end of the the and, and the ship was then was then christened the Shenandoah. It was no longer the Sea King, although the rest of the world would always suspect that uh, it was in fact the Sea King, the English ship. But uh, at the end of the 19th, it was no longer the, the Sea King, it was a Shenandoah. Now, apparently, um, again, several sources, uh, Waddell um, tries to give the impression that his speech was, um, you know, inspiring. Noble. Noble rousing. and rousing and inspiring. But uh, one of our future crew members of the week, um, Midshipman Mason, and um, I think uh, Midshipman Mason did tend uh, occasionally to criticise his... Um, his captain, but I think I'll leave you with um, uh, in Midshipman Mason's memoirs when uh, the officers and men of the uh, Shenan- of the then Shenandoah were arrayed on the deck. Uh, Mason said words to the effect of "The captain looked a bit downhearted," so I raised a rousing cheer and said, three huzzas for the Confederacy! Huzzah! Huzzah! Huzzah!" And said Mason. I think that made the captain cheered up, and I think that made him feel better. So I, I think um, Midshipman Mason is, is our is our candidate for the Mary Sue of the Shenandoah. Yes, I think yes, so. Yes, Mary Sue being uh, somebody who um, the traditional Mary Sue is uh, somebody who's a, a an ensign aboard the um, the USS, Enterprise, the Enterprise, and when Captain Kirk and Spock lose their cool and uh, you know, tremor in fear, the Mary Sue stands up and saves the day. So I think uh, Midgeman Mason is our, is our great candidate for a Mary Sue. So, you know, uh, Waddell actually did have one other alternative that he could have done to get his crew numbers up. And it's interesting he didn't do it, given the cause that he was fighting for. He could have. He could have pressed the men. He yes. Could, yes. It's. It's not like the Confederacy weren't used to making people do work against. Their no. Will. No. Although. Yes. Uh, <coughs> well. We're, we're, yes. We're going to um, I think. I think the issue with that was that uh, it was the start of the cruise, and um, the men who weren't coming greatly outnumbered the men who were. So I think if they provoked some sort of press gang at the start... And the, the other thing about that, you couldn't have just pressed half of them. You would have had to press the whole lot. And I think that I think the, the voyage of the Shenandoah could have ended before it had begun. It probably would have ended fairly ignominiously, yes. Although I think possibly um, uh, that might have given Waddell an idea for what he could do when he started taking uh, unarmed merchantmen with very small crews, and uh, we'll be we'll be seeing uh, what happens uh, what happens there in future weeks. So uh, we'll we'll wind up. Um, I think um, next week we can get into. Um, uh, as we know, the Shenandoah had very few men. Uh, it also had a whole lot of trouble uh, turning the Shenandoah getting into, underway, getting yes. underway, and turning the Shenandoah into ship of war. But let's not uh, use all that good stuff up this episode. We're already well over time, so I'd like to wind up and say uh, once again, this has been Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales by Robin Mob. This is Mob saying goodbye. This is Rob saying goodbye, and we'll see you for the exciting fourth episode of this podcast in a week's time. Goodbye.